when I started to um, pursue coaching, I made the very real and distinct decision out loud that I no longer had the capacity to be an athlete myself. I was running a business. I had a family, a, a growing family. I was an athlete competing at the CrossFit Games on a team, and I was starting this coaching pursuit. As my family became more of a priority in my life and my businesses grew and I really wanted to invest everything I could to be a good coach, I knew I no longer had the capacity to be an elite athlete. As much as I wanted it and I thought I could do it, it wasn't something that I should be doing. I needed to cut it somewhere because I don't have the capacity to be substantially above average in that many different categories. A whole lot of things that are outside of your control. Let them go. Let them go. Just focus on what is the best thing I can do. The best thing I can do to maximize my potential. My potential. My potential. Ben, today we are going to talk about something that I heard first from you. Um, it was written on your whiteboard in your office, uh, and it was it was GWC. Um, which stands for get it, want it, have the capacity to do it. So I think first thing I wanted to ask you is what that means and sort of maybe where you found it or where it sort of came into your life. So get it, want it, capacity to do it is a tool that we use first and foremost as a evaluator for our our employees. Do they get the job? Do they want the job? And do they have the capacity to do it? And it was on the whiteboard because it was right next to our um, organizational flowchart, and what we put up there, we we put it right up there to make sure that as we were putting in people in the right seats, that they had those three things. So quickly, I got it from Gino Wickman, who wrote the book, book Traction. He has a um, a great website called um, EOS Worldwide, which stands for Entrepreneurs Organizational Systems. Phenomenal book, phenomenal website. It's a it's a system we use to run our business. Mm-hmm. The, the quickly the to surmise each of those three the get it is do the employees understand the job do they the way, the way I start with this is my coaches my coaches get it want to have the capacity to do their role as coaches but that's not necessarily as we get to be able to take other roles and responsibilities in the business they might not get it want it, and have the capacity to do it so the get it is, do they understand the job? Do they understand the roles and responsibilities? And do they understand how the role fits in the bigger picture of the business? The next piece is, do they want it? Do they wake up excited in the morning? Do they look forward to Monday morning because they want to be doing that job? Third one is the capacity to do it. Do they have the time and the skill set to be able to do that job well? As I said, our coaches, for coaching, get it. They understand the roles of the coach. They understand how that coaching role fits into the business. They, have a, they want it. That's what they feel like they put on earth to do. They love their jobs and the capacity to do it. They have the skill set and the time. Mm-hmm. That doesn't fit everything we ask of everybody. So that's an evaluation tool that we use. Right. Because I imagine that the want it part can get a little bit tricky. Um, they all get a little bit tricky. Yeah. yeah. So um, I actually think that the, so the want it one, yes. So the want it one. Like nobody um, wants to clean the bathroom. Well, maybe somebody does. Um, yeah, that's you know cr- I mean? yeah, yep, 
Yeah, that's 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 a valid point. But um, do they want that job? Right, like okay. the job, the, is to, the bigger picture, the bigger picture yeah, job, which may so, involve cleaning the bathroom. Blah, yeah, blah, for blah, sure. Yeah. So um, people are motivated by coaching, but they might not be psyched about like having to fill out an after action report. Yeah, right. Well, guess what? That comes with the duties of it's a, it's still a job. It's work. There's other things you need to do to fulfill the roles and responsibilities. It's more about do they understand the big picture role of the job and how it contributes to the organization. So. That's the that's the one. It's the one I think is the most tricky that people will probably overlook more than any. And what we were doing as we were a small business expanding was the capacity to do it. We're presented with a lot of great opportunities, a lot of things that we want to take advantage of, but we just don't have the capacity to take advantage of all of the ones that are in front of us. From a manual standpoint um, of just man hours. You, know, you have a fixed amount of resources, time, effort, energy, money, people, whatever it is. If you're diluting those into a whole bunch of different buckets, like you're not going to be able to fill all those buckets up all the way to the top. Mm-hmm. Something's going to have to sacrifice somewhere along the way. That's the capacity thing you need to recognize. So we've foregone a lot of opportunities and let go of some things that were doing very well because we realized that it wasn't in our wheelhouse. So that that actually that introduces the 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 situation where I saw GWC sort of in action or in practice first, um, beyond just what was on your whiteboard, which is the the East Coast Championship, the ECC that you ran, that I helped you run last year, that you've done for a few years now. This is the first year going forward, 2017, that you're not going to do that. Yep. Uh, and a big part of that decision was you're being able to take a step back and say, does this, you know, do I get it? Do I want it? Do I have the capacity to do it? So maybe you can walk us through how you sort of broke down that decision based on GWC and based on sort of what the ECC was or could be or, or yep. going forward. So this GWC is a powerful, I think it's a powerful tool to weigh and measure opportunities or employees or a lot of different other things. We used it to weigh and measure the, the, the benefits of pursuing the ECC for an additional year. And we looked at, do we get it? Do we understand? And this is not something you want to brush up off. Do we understand how to run a successful event, competitive event inside the world of this CrossFit yeah. thing? And right? maybe we should give a little bit of context to ECC in case sure, anybody yeah, yeah. who doesn't know what it is. It was one of the biggest sort of non-CrossFit games uh, competitions yeah, in, it, in the world, right? Yep. Yeah. So um, in terms of participatory um, and total vendors and all that stuff, I think Wadapalooza's definitely kind of got that cornered. We had the most games athletes outside of the games at our event. So we were kind of this niche type event where it was a two-day event. One day was individuals, one day was teams. And we got a lot of games athletes, a lot of online spectators. We had you know a quarter of a million people watch it live online. It was, we had a, it was a very successful event. It's where Matt Fraser sort of broke out first. Yeah, it's where Matt Fraser came. Sarah Sigmund's daughter came through. Um, they both won those before they won the games. Yep. So it was kind of like a nice kind of um, stepping stone yeah, for them. And it was in well. January. So it was like right at the beginning of the year. It sort of set the tone for. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. They kind of rose onto the scene through those events. Um, and the events were successful. They made money. Um, the idea behind it though, was should we be pursuing this and do we get it? Do we know how to do this thing? And we feel like we were good, not great at it. So we felt like we were, we sort of got it. We understood how to do events. We could do it well. Um, the did we want it and the capacity to do it were things that we had to measure a little bit more. Um, did Do we want it? Um, some of my staff were really passionate about it and they loved it and it was something that they were really proud of what they had built. Um, 
I personally had lost my my luster for it. I'm I like to create things and make things new and all that. And it wasn't something I was incredibly passionate about. Mm-hmm. So me personally did not want it the way I did in years past. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third one was the capacity. We've had other opportunities come before us in the last few years, the success we've had, where they superseded this in terms of the opportunities for my staff, the opportunities for um, growth and opportunities for building the brand and everything else. This um, was going to pull our resources away from other opportunities. We could have had the capacity to do this, but not at the expense of something else. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, the ECC, because it almost, I've been around long enough to have sort of seen it grow. I was only involved in it a little bit, but it really felt like something that grew on its own, almost mm-hmm. in a way. Like if maybe maybe it's worth talking about where the ECC even started, because I know it didn't start certainly um, with 5,000 spectators and 60 games athletes, right? So it sort of grew to this thing. It sort of became its own beast. Right. And then it was like, okay, is this is this the beast that we want to be? Yeah, that's that a valid point. So back in the day, we had the capacity to do this. Yeah. So when we started this venture, it was a um, it was a competition that we ran in our gym. It was called the Competitors Competition and, or the Beast of the East. And then we kind of grew into this ECC to where it was, you know, at the Boston Seaport World Trade Center. It was streamed on live and we had, you know, huge sponsors coming in and, you know, 60 games athletes. And we were dealing – the logistics of what we set out to do was not what we ended up doing. Right. It gr- kind of created we, – we, we did it fairly well and created a monster for ourselves mm-hmm. in a good way. Like created this really success, really big business – but we weren't, that's not what we set out to do. And it grew into something that we no longer had the capacity to do. So instead of what I think a lot of people might do is sit on it, struggle with it, do it and resent it and continue to push and pull on people in all different directions and not have the happiness or the balance or the direction we were looking for, we realized that we did not have the capacity to do it anymore and we cut ties. Was it was it particularly challenging with the ECC because it is such a public event, um, especially up here in the Northeast? You know, we don't get a ton of uh, games activity up here, and this was this was a big event. You know, mm-hmm. we had really big athletes show up, so this is maybe it, in some way this was sort of like the biggest public facing thing that you did. Was that a factor in the decision to say, okay, let's let's not go forward with it, or was that was that not a pressure that you, you sort of like let yourself think about? Yeah, I, th- I thought about, um, you know, there's definitely a, a rabid CrossFit fan base that wants to be at the EC and watch it happen. And there's a whole bunch of vendors that really enjoyed being at the event. And that was kind of like their tagline place to be in the winter. And um, so there's certainly outside pressure to do it, um, but that can never outweigh the GWC. You know, there's always going to be pressure from an employee that wants to take on more roles and responsibilities. But if they don't get it, want to have the capacity to do it, that's not the right move. So this get it, want to capacity to do it is truly a measuring stick that can outweigh outside pressure. It can outweigh inside pressure. It can levy something that needs to be levied. It, mm-hmm. You know, if we're just continuing to do this because of people think we should be doing it, that's not the right reason to do it. You know, so yeah. it, it, I, I think it's a phenomenal tool and we use it daily um, for a lot of different reasons. And uh, the ECC being one of the biggest, most visible reasons that it, um, came to light from the GWC analysis. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, of the GWC, I can imagine, and it, it's happened in my life, and I imagine it happens in a lot of people's lives where they get it and they want it, but it's the capacity thing that gets really tricky because sometimes the want can can overwhelm your, your, your better judgments that, okay, I don't actually have time for that. I don't have the capacity to do that, but I'm still going to do it because I really want it. Yep. So I'm curious if if that if you sort of wrestled with that outside of the ECC decision over the years, if you've ever come across another situation where you had the G, you had the the W, but you recognize I, I just don't I just can't do this and I have to say no to it. I believe that you can do one thing at an exceptional world class level. I think that you can do two things at a very, very good professional level. I believe you think you can do three things really well and people would look up to you and say that you're an expert in those domains i think once you try and bring on a fourth thing you become mediocre across the board across the board on everything yep when i started to um pursue coaching i made the very real and distinct decision out loud that i no longer had the capacity to be an athlete myself i was running a business i had a family a, a growing family I was an athlete competing at the CrossFit Games on a team, and I was starting this coaching pursuit. As my family became more of a priority in my life, and my businesses grew, and I really wanted to invest everything I could to be a good coach, I knew I no longer had the capacity to be an elite athlete. As much as I wanted it, and I thought I could do it, it wasn't something that I should be doing. I needed to cut it somewhere, because I don't have the capacity to be substantially above average in that many different categories. Right. Do you feel over the years that 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 has shifted again in terms of where your priorities are now? Like, is it, did you have to make a shift toward business owner, affiliate owner and away from coach once you started having a full-time staff here to do, you know, the the bulk of the class or maybe that, maybe it has, maybe it's business owner and coach are sort of like the two things that you're. No, actually I separate coach in terms of business owners crossing and coach is what I do for the world-class games athletes. So as my coaching career outside of the affiliate level grew, that was the other side of it. So I kind of lump in my coaching of the classes and the affiliate all into one. Business, yeah. I lump the family into one, and the third is the coaching, is the third one, coaching being the elite-level athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that that makes sense. And again, like you can, I believe that you can, I'm aware of the fact that I am not extremely exceptional in any one of those three. I can't be because I don't have the capacity to be in three. For me to do that, I have to give one of those up. And that's not a right or wrong decision. It's just what works well for me is I want greater balance in my life. And I've said this before, but I believe that in terms of people that are trying to become exceptional at their craft, balance is overrated. Because by necessity, what we're saying is you can only, you have 100% of effort. Well, to be exceptional, you have to put 100% of that effort into one thing. Me, I'm trying to pour it into three different buckets. Right. So what I'm trying to do is just get really good at yeah. three things. Right. And to me, that's what makes me happy. I want that balance. Knowing that I'm not, you know, it pains me to say this, but I know I'm not the greatest coach I could be. I know I'm not. I just don't have the time to do it. I, I want to be a great dad and a great spouse and a great family member, but I know I could be better. And I want to be a great business owner and a great affiliate owner and be able to do things like this, but I could do that even better if I was to yeah. sacrifice the other two, but 
That's how it would make me happy. Right. Did you, did you come to that understanding or that relevate or revelation, uh, the hard way? <laughs> In other words, did you spend two years trying to be excellent at three things and failing at all three of them? Or did you, were you always able to see like, I could give coaching two more hours a week, but that's two hours that the kids don't get or that Heather doesn't get or that the affiliate doesn't like, have you always been able to see it as three different buckets that you're sort of trying to drop pe- pebbles into equally? Or did you sort of come to that, uh, in fits and starts and sort of stumbles? Yeah. I don't know when I, I became aware of kind of like the three hats I wanted to wear. Um, but I've, for a long time, I've been aware of the roles in my life. I, you know, I, I did an exercise where uh, years and years and years ago, where I laid out all the roles in my life, everything from, you know, a dad to a son, to an uncle, to a godfather, to a neighbor, to a member of a coach, to a business owner, to a boss, like lay out all the, and you end up with, you know, somewhere between, depending on how detailed you want to go, but you have a list of 10 to 30 roles you have in your life. From there, I picked out the three or four that were really meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. And I basically said, like, I'm going to have to sacrifice. I'm not going to be the best neighbor. I can't go to every single block party. I can't go over and, you know, bring desserts to everyone, you know, every single night and, you know, write written thank you cards. You know, I I just can't do that. I don't have the capacity to do that. So I've been aware of the roles in my life. Having said that, I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, And there was definitely times in my life where I was trying to wear too many hats and I would put too much emphasis on areas that I probably shouldn't have been. One of the things that's common amongst like success literature is this idea of seasonal imbalances. So you find out what the roles you have and the roles that are, are inspire or meaningful to you or relative to your core values. And it's okay if you have, you put more emphasis and more effort into one at one time, knowing that you know, in the, you're in a wealth creation phase and you mm-hmm. need to really work hard at work and you really need to take advantage of the opportunities that you have and your family might suffer. And then you're in another phase where you are on sabbatical from work and you're going to spend more time with your family. And you're going on this month long trip through Europe. And then you have other phases where you are really into personal development and your own fitness and your health and wellness and the other things kind of take back seats. While that's a really popular methodology and thought in success literature, that doesn't work for me. I I don't work well that way. I've, um, whenever I'm doing that, I feel guilty about the other ones. It (laughs) just doesn't fit. You think about the two buckets that you're not paying attention to. I think that what can happen is, I think it's a really slippery slope. So I go in this wealth creation phase and I'm going to work really hard at work and let my family suffer a little bit, my personal development suffer a little bit because that's what I'm really focusing on. Well, to what end and when do you stop? Mm-hmm. What I've seen is like, as you dig deeper, you just want to dig deeper. I think it becomes harder and harder to pull back from that balance. Right. I think it's the opposite of what most of the success literature is telling you. I think seasonal imbalances or whatever you want to call that is detrimental to someone who's trying to find balance if they're trying to find balance and balance is not the right thing for everybody. Right. So that sort of brings up two questions. One is, how do you know if, balance is the right thing for you. Maybe how did you figure that out? Maybe it's just, you just, as you get older, you just figure that out. Um, and then, you know, you, you, you say, you talk about this kind of stuff and we've talked a little bit about it just personally, just the, the difference between what you're choosing and what somebody like Catherine's choosing. Um, because she's not that, ba- I would, I would imagine that you would say she's not balanced. Correct. Yeah. Intentionally. So she's going for something that requires 
absolute excellence and she can't sacrifice for it. So how, like, again, it's, it's obviously always really personal to the, to the individual, but how do you, how do you know if you're the, the one bucket or the three bucket, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think it's, um, and you're absolutely right. It, I, to me, like I, I thrive off of this more balance. Um, but I think that most people would be like, most people, it's, it's like, it's common vernacular. Like you have to find better balance in your mm-hmm. life. What, no, like BS, like you have, balance doesn't mean, balance is not good. Balance is good for me, right? But you might have one, Katrin. Katrin is the, the, the fittest female in the world for the last two years. You're not going to have that by being balanced. Mm-hmm. You know, Kobe Bryant is, I, I don't think he's a great human being, but he was really well aware of what he was after. Right. He said, I'm not going to be the best dad. I'm not going to be the best husband. I'm not going to be your best friend. I'm not going to be the best at all these other hobbies or pursuits or anything else. I'm not going to be good at that because that's not what I'm striving to be. Yeah. I'm going to be the best basketball player that ever lived. And whether he is or he isn't doesn't yeah. matter. But that's and, you, a, and you can see other examples, you know, Steve Jobs, uh, Tiger Woods, like sacrificing other areas right. for that. Now, I think the important thing is don't chase it for the accolades and the awards, right? If you're chasing it for this outside third, like um, validation, validation and motivation through extrinsic means and all that stuff, you have to find out what really motivates you, what really makes you happy. And if you can find the thing that really resonates with you, then that's what you should be putting some of your pebbles into those jars, as you said. I think that's a, that's something that doesn't just happen. I think you got to put effort into that, whether it's going away for, by yourself for a prolonged period of time to try and figure out what it is that you want to seek out in life. You know, we're kind of talking really like deep philosophical yeah. type stuff now, but it's a, it's a practice that I did. I, I was... I was working in Boston doing high finance stuff, working supporting the the trading desk at State Street Bank for foreign exchange traders, moving money around the world. And I was in a great company with a good job and a nice corporate ladder to climb, but I wasn't happy. Mm. When 9-11 happened, it shook my world, rocked me to my core so much so that I was, I quit my job and I moved out to Wyoming for a winter to try and figure out what I wanted to do. These things don't, I don't think people just like wake up one day and like, ah, there it is. There it is. (laughs) I want to, I want to be a painter. You know, it's like, you have to like, you have to work to find it. And I, I spent, you know, with, without a lot of social aspects to what I was doing out there, I was a ski bum and I worked the front desk at a hotel and it was a fantastic winter, but I wasn't, I didn't have a bunch of friends. I wasn't going up. I spent a lot of time with self-reflection while I was out there. And that's when I figured out that I was really passionate about health and wellness and helping other people. I wanted to be a leader and try to make people's lives better. And that's when I came back to Boston, I didn't go back to work finance. I went back to and learned about, you know, mitochondria and mm-hmm. nutrition and, you know, cross filament fibers and all this, all this stuff that I thought was exercise science that would help me. And then found CrossFit and realized that was all crap. <laughs> And moved on. So I think maybe we'll, we'll wrap it up on, on this, that it seems to me that, well, maybe I don't want to, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seems to me that when you're younger is the time that if there's something that's really burning in terms of like a, a desire and a, and a want, like that's the time maybe to, to have the, the, the one bucket, you know, Catherine's only 21, 22. 
I bet at 28, 29, 30, she might want balance. She want, might want more balance in the same way that, you know, you were trying to figure out when you were younger, like, what is the thing that I'm most passionate about? And maybe it's just a natural evolution of sort of understanding yourself where you, if you're lucky enough to find that one thing yeah. and you pour yourself into it and then like life just sort of like introduces the other things. Yeah. But- I'm not a huge believer in luck. I think people make their own luck. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, uh, I think people might look at it like Katrin's lucky to have found CrossFit. You know, Ben Bergeron's lucky to have found coaching. It's like, you know, those things, the, people work for those things. Um, you know, I think you could maybe think of this in different terms. Instead of get it, want it, capacity to do it. In terms of trying to figure out whether something you're interested in is a worthwhile pursuit, I think another way to think about that is, do you have the right skill set? Do you have a talent base for that? Are you good at it, mm-hmm. right? Then from there, if you think of like a Venn diagram with overlapping circles, the next one is, is there an opportunity? Is there a way to make money doing that mm-hmm. thing? And people can say like, just do what you love and the money will find itself. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Right. And the third one is, is it something that you're truly passionate about, that you love? So talent, opportunity, and passion. And if those three things overlap, that's a really worthwhile thing to pursue. Now, not everything that you have overlaps that. You know, If you're a guy that's going to school for finance because you got straight you got perfect scores on your SATs and you're gifted mathematically, then you get hired by a big investment bank, make tons of money, so you're talented and there's opportunities. But if you dread going to work right. in the mo- in Monday morning, yeah. that's not what you should be pursuing. You should try and figure out what it is that you truly love. Even if the world will always sort of point you towards that because it's it's safer, it's more reliable. Or for sure, because you have talent and somebody yeah. wants to reward you for your talent. You'll be happy later. You'll, You'll be, make a bunch of money now. You won't be happy, happy later. Yeah. There is no later. Right. It's, it's this constant like waiting for things to happen. You know, it's there's this uh, this quote in um, um, Days of Confused where this, the, 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 the geeks are the, the guys in the back of the car and he's like, do you ever feel like, and he's this guy, like hyper guy, you know the movie Days of yeah. Confused? It's like, you ever feel like all we're ever doing is preparing for the future? <laughs> it's like, it's like, and they go through the back and forth. He's like, "Well, what do you want to? What do you want? What do you want to do?" And now he's like, "I want to dance." <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's kind of like that. It's like if you want to dance, dance, right? Yeah. It's like don't wait because everyone's telling you to go do this other thing. Now it's important though to realize that those circles have to be overlapping. It's just it's not just the passion one. You can be really passionate about something and really good at it, but if there's no opportunities there. Dancing might be one of those things. I think that people do get rewarded for dancing. And a small number. Yeah. Right. Really small. <laughs> yeah. But like something like the example I give there is ant farming. Mm-hmm. Right. You are the most passionate person in the world about ants. No one knows more about the different species of ants than you. You have figured out that the society of ants. Well, great. <laughs> you know, that might be something that we might want to just do as a hobby on the yeah. side, not dedicate your whole life to. Because I don't think there's much opportunity there. Now, the other one is maybe you love baseball. You love, love, love baseball. You love it. There's a lot of opportunity for people to get a baseball. But you have no hand-eye coordination. You can't hit a curveball. Mm-hmm. Like that's not the thing to be dedicating your life to either. When you find the three things that overlap, that you get, want, have capacity to do it, that you have talent, passion, and there's an opportunity for you, now we're talking about something that whether it's the one thing or the two things or the three things, I don't think it should be four, five, six, mm-hmm. but if it's one, two, or three, that's up to you in terms of how, you know, if you can find three things like that, awesome. I feel like I did, right? right. I feel like I found three things that I, all those things overlapped. 
I gave up a fourth to make sure that those three things mm-hmm. were thriving and not surviving. Awesome. Let's end it there because you got to get to coaches meeting. Okay. It's very cool. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thanks. You got one. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.